Hey, Connect Church, Pastor Derek here. So glad that you are with me and hope you're ready to receive the word today. Listen, I have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if it hasn't been highlighted already, I'll do it again. I just want to let you know that Easter is right around the corner. That's right, next week. So I'm hoping that you can invite your friends, tell people about church next week. This is the high holiday. This is where we celebrate King Jesus. We serve not only someone who died on the cross for our sins, but who rose from the grave. And because he rose, we can overcome and we can rise above all the things that are happening in our life, in our crazy nuts world. Can I have an amen out there? And then also I want to mention to some of you in your discipleship journey, um, your next step after you receive Jesus. And some of you have been kind of sitting on this wonderful gift, uh, your salvation, but you haven't taken that next step. And the next step is water baptism. So on March 18th, we're going to be having a water baptism in the evening. I'll actually be teaching in the morning service on water baptism, but we'll have a special service and a celebration uh, in the evening. And so I just want to encourage you to attend that uh, and celebrate with other people so it can be a public declaration of an inward conviction. And um, I want to also encourage those of you to follow, to not only believe, as the Bible says, but believe and be baptized. Can I have an amen again? So listen, um, super excited. We are in a series. This is the second installment of our series, Encounters with Jesus. And so I want to get right into it today. Um, and this, this new series is kind of built uh, um, through uh, not only Easter, but even after. And so we're going to have multiple conversations uh, with Christ. And uh, we're going to see and we're going to learn some things. And hopefully when you see and learn these things, you're not just going to get information, but you're going to get supernatural insight. You'll never be the same again. Today's message is one of those messages that when I heard the principles, uh, when I saw them and uh, kind of really uh, got them in my heart, it literally changed my life. There's this term, it's called interpretive keys. There's sometimes we receive some things and it changes how we see the world. And so I hope that this message changes your life the way it has uh, mine. I don't know, um, as, uh, it's kind of an opening question. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and at the end of that conversation, um, something happened? You were, you were different after that. Like that conversation with that person, it marked your soul. It, um, it affected you in your life. And... And, and, and I know there's some conversations that are meaningless, but there are some periodically, I hope for you, I know it's been the case for me, that are extremely meaningful. And sometimes with certain people, there is a moment where you receive something that you could have got no other way but through this dialogue. And that exchange changed you. And it might have even changed the course and trajectory of your life as a result of that interaction that you have with that person. For example, uh, many years ago, um, my grandfather passed away. My grandmother and grandfather are both uh, with the Lord now. But my grandfather died, you know, in his late 50s. Uh, he wasn't a very healthy, uh, physically uh, person. He loved Jesus, but he loved his food too. But anyway, um, my grandmother then was kind of flying solo for a while as a widow. And then she started dating this guy named Eddie. 
And uh, Eddie was a true gentleman. Eddie was uh, an ex-professional baseball player for the Detroit Tigers. He was a boxer. He'd always come up, and he was an older guy. He'd like, let's go, let's go, come on, Derek. And uh, I loved Eddie. I mean, loved him like my, like my real grandfather. He became a second grandfather to me. And I can remember many conversations with him about life. And as a very young man, there was one conversation, and I'll just cut to this, um, you know, scene. And he was trying to, I think, impart something to me. Uh, he was seeing my potential. You know, when you look back, you can see things in people they can't see in themselves. Uh, good people can do that. You know, even the devil can see. He, he's, he's not omniscient, but he's extremely intelligent. And so he can sometimes see your trajectory, your potential, and that's why he'll work so hard to interfere with it. But God uses a lot of times people to get into a relationship with us and intersect with us, hopefully to get our attention and hopefully to create a moment where our life can be changed forever. And so I remember um, Mr. Eddie, he, uh, he put his hands on my shoulder and he said, son, and again, he's trying to tell me that life can't be wasted. Life can't be squandered. You got, there's so much inside of it. He said, son, puts his hands on me. He says, Derek, um, what you are to be, you are now becoming minute by minute. And he just took his hands off me and kind of walked away. And I was like, wow. That thought has permeated my brain. It's like, it's just like, you know, every life is not a dress rehearsal, as I like to say. It's the real show. You get one shot at it. Like those kind of lines that I have said and and kind of um, you know promoted, it stemmed from that conversation with Mr. Eddie, my uh, my second grandfather. And I can remember a conversation. Um, you know, my son and I were in um, Florida recently. Praise God, suffering for Jesus, and we were we're in a training, a pastor's training, and we were listening to this pastor, and he was talking to us, and he was basically sharing a fact that I had heard before, but he put a new spin on it. He basically said that, and this applied more to my son because his children are younger, and my children are all grown, and he's got two sons now, and um, this pastor said to us, he said, you know, uh, about you know, 75% or something like that of, of a child's character is formed before the age of five. And then he said this little phrase, he said, so you have about 250 weekends to get it done. And my son, it hit him a lot different than it hit me because his son's almost three. And he's thinking to himself, I better get to work. You know, Zion's a great kid, so don't misinterpret that. But he heard it different. And that, that, that moment marked him. And, and this is what I'm talking about in this series. There are these um, potential intersections, these uh, maybe even divine encounters of some sort that you can have with a person that move you, might mold you that uh, mark you in some way, perhaps for the rest of your life, but there's no person that can mark us more, change us more, shape us more, fashion us more than a conversation with Jesus Christ. And the word of God gives us the opportunity to step into a scene and not only see what's happening between people within this story, but see how it could be you and me. That's the purpose 
And that's the intent of the word of God is for us to be able to grab a hold of these things and apply them to our life. And so this series is about a series of conversations that Christ had with others that are so, so important. And I hope not only for them, but for us, we're never the same again. So can we pray? Would you just join me wherever you are at all the city groups, at all the locations, um, there in your home. Maybe you're watching on a watch party right now. Would you just close your eyes and just pray with me? God, I pray that after today's message, that something supernatural transpired that, that literally changes their hearts, their minds, more importantly, their life. Lord, I pray that this would be more than a message. It would be a mantra. It might even be form models for our life. And Lord, when we're listening your, may your spirit be upon the word. The Bible says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says. I pray you speak words that I can't speak or have the time to speak through this message in Jesus' name. And everybody out there said, come on, in the chat, say amen. All the city groups, let's say a loud amen at all the locations, Marlboro, Milford, Natick, Framingham, Ashland. Come on, everybody, say Amen and amen. So listen, we are in conversation number two. And this is, we're talking about Jesus, uh, the, the Pharisee and the prostitute. The Pharisee and the prostitute. Now, this might sound really, really weird, but two people in this story, <laughs> the Pharisee and the prostitute, they remind me of Stacy and me. Now, before you get shocked, you know, just let me qualify that a little bit, because I did that on purpose, okay? But those two characters, they, they, they don't remind me of, like, I'm one and she's the other. No, the essence, the intent of the story is what I'm talking about. It reminds me of my relationship with my wife, and so I'm not saying what you might have thought. But um, anyway, it, it's it's so important, and, 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 and we I've... I've read this story so many times, and it's impacted me in big ways. So let's read right out of the scripture here, Luke chapter 7. Let's unpack where these characters are and kind of what's going on. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36, and you can follow along in your U version. By the way, in U version, we have the whole outline for this message is right in there. So if you go to U version, look under live event, you'll see Connect Church. Bam, all the notes are right in there. And for some of you old school people with your hard copy Bibles, God bless you. Read that, uh, Luke 7, with me. Verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman, a sinful woman, in the city... Uh, who was a sinner, she was there. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, you, many preachers would preach this part of the story, and we're not going to do that today, but uh, this is a powerful, powerful story. It's kind of a, you know, it has a prophetic element. She's preparing him for burial. There's so many other things that are going on here. This was an expensive perfume and uh, worth a lot of money. But let's continue, though. In verse 38, it says, And she stood at his feet, and, and, and she came up behind him, weeping. Now, I think she came behind him because of shame. Whenever you come from behind, you're hidden in the shadows. That's always a sign of shame. And she's crying, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and, and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee... That, the one who invited Jesus, saw this. Listen, he spoke to himself saying this. This man, you know, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, the Pharisee's name is Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. 
And, there, and, he, and so Jesus tells the story. He says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Remember that, two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more, Simon? Well, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he, who he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned the woman to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, he looks at her and he says, your sins... They are forgiven. And those that sat at the table began to say to themselves, Who is this that forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is an incredible story. And it is chock full of powerful principles. Now there are two main characters, as we've already discovered in this story. The Pharisee and the sinful woman. And there are two people in conversation, Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. And the story is mostly, and we're going to emphasize today, about the, the two debtors within this conversation. And, and the two debtors are, uh, we're going to apply this and we're going to see that it applies to the Pharisee and the prostitute. And so the story is mostly about that. One who owed 500 denarii and one who owed 50. And obviously this is relating to the Pharisee and the prostitute. Everybody is tracking, right? I hope you're with me on this. So Whenever we, somebody reads this story, traditionally, there is a focus on the differences. Um, everybody talks about that because that's just, it's just so obvious. But we're going to start and we're going we're gonna to camp a little bit more today on the similarities between the two. See, what are the differences between the Pharisee and the prostitute is where everybody goes. We're going to focus more on the similarities because I think Jesus had a very, very strategic conversation here that he wanted uh, Simon to see. And so what are the similarities, Pastor Derek, between these two debtors? And so why don't you follow along with me, taking notes, write this down. And you can see this in the story right away. The similarities between the prostitute, the sinful woman, and Simon is this. They both owed. They both had a debt they owed. And, and is that true? Yes, it's true. Look what it says in verse 41. It says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500, one owed 50. Did they both, the other, the implied uh, verb here is the other owed 50. So did they both owe? The answer is yes. Yes, they both owed. Now, a little mathematics here, and try to stay with me on this. Uh, uh, don't, get, don't get scared. But a denarii, a denarii is the plural of denarius. Denarii is a form of currency. And a denarius is the plural of that. And so a denarius is a day's wages, a day's wages, okay? And so therefore, a denarii is more than one day's wages. So if, you, if you're tracking, okay, 300 denarii, is a year's wages. 300 denarii is a year's wages. So if you had um, 500, if you owed 500 denarii, then you owed, um, you know, one and two thirds of a year's wages, 
right? Because 300 is a year. You owed 500, so you owed one and two-thirds of a year's wages. So if you made, hypothetically, $50,000 a year and you owed one and two-thirds years, then you owed $83,000. Now, 50 represents one-sixth of a year's wages, which would be $8,300. So the 500 in our mathematical hypothetical situation, the 500 is, is uh, $83,000 debt, and the 50 is an $8,300 debt. Right, a ten times differential. Okay, now that if we're if we're using the scale of fifty thousand dollars a year as an annual salary. Now, why? Don't check out because I'm using fractions here. Okay, it's important. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The point, though, the bigger point in this story is, and, and what is similar is, they both owed. Yes, different amounts. One way more than the other, but they both owed. I want you to see that, and I want you to see this through. Uh, spiritual terminology, spiritual eyes as it relates to God. And this must be, write this in your notes, this must be established, and that is everyone owes. We, I, you know, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Hallelujah. That's an old song we used to sing. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay, which we're going to get to next. But we all owe. And, and interestingly enough, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is 50, 500. No, death. The ultimate payment for sin. It doesn't say one sin, hundred sins, and then there's a differing payment. The wages of sin is death. Look what it says in Romans 3.10. It's in your notes. Romans 3.10 through 12. It says there is none righteous. No, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. They all have turned aside. They all have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, I believe he puts... Uh, Paul puts this no in there because he knows that there is a tendency, a nature, a predisposition for us to have a self-righteousness, uh, to defend, to argue our righteousness and our good works on our behalf. And, and it's like what I used to say to my kids. I'd say, no, Devin, no, Mallory, no. And, and they try to defend themselves when one did wrong more than the other. I'm like, no, you're both wrong because you both and then I would fill in the blank. And so Paul is doing the same thing here. He's saying, no, no one's right in this situation. You, 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 with the kids, you shouldn't be fighting at all. You should have come to me and talked to me before. There was another answer. But you both went about this the wrong way, regardless of the amounts. And we all have a tendency to want to argue to want to argue our case or debate or categorize or qualify and all these different things. And further down in the chapter, it says, in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that word glory is referring to a standard. What is the standard? The standard, this is tough. This is, this is why the gospel is necessary. The standard for all of us is perfection. Now, of course, none of us can meet that. None of us can uh, uh, keep up with that standard. None of us can, uh, to, can do enough good to, to acquire that standard. And so how many apart from, Christ's, from Christ are unrighteous? All. And how many meet God's standard? None. That's what Romans chapter 3 is telling us. So our first point, again, don't miss this, is they both owed. 
The sinful woman and Simon, they both owed. Number two, write this down. They both couldn't pay. They both couldn't pay. Now, I'm going somewhere, so I need you to work with me. They both couldn't pay. Verse 42 says, And when they, both of them, had nothing with which to repay, he freely, freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love more. So the one with 50 didn't have 49 minus 1 to pay. No, he didn't have 1 and he needed 49 more. No, he didn't have any of it. He couldn't pay. He had nothing with which to pay. Same with the 500 person, okay? And so you and I are the same way. We don't have anything when it comes to our sin, when it comes to um, accessing righteousness, being accepted and approved by God, we don't have anything that can get our right standing with God. We don't have, we don't have enough. We don't, it's 49, if we had 50, it wouldn't be enough. We had five, it wouldn't be enough. We don't have what we need to pay for our sins either. And let me explain this further in the next text because uh, I used to misquote and misread this text, but let me try to uh, clarify. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. But we all, uh, like an unclean thing, are, are like an unclean thing. We all are like that. And all of our righteousnesses, all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Now, when I used to read this, this is the only time this term righteousness is plural, righteousnesses. Okay? In the NIV, it says um, all of our righteous acts, plural, are filthy rags. And so it's not saying righteousness. It's not saying your righteousness is filthy rags. It's saying your activities, your righteous acts, your, your attempts to do A, B, C, D, filthy rags, okay? Righteous acts, what are those? Well, it could be uh, seeking God, praying, getting in his word. It could be serving other people, leading somebody to Christ, discipleship, tithing, generosity, all those things. What, is, what does Christ say? All of those things, all of those righteous acts, all of those works, they are menstrual rags. That's the literal translation. Isaiah uses this really graphic analogy to try to get us to understand our good is not even close to good enough. And, and I think we need, to, we need to grasp this. This is so important. It's saying like the best of what you could bring to the table. It's filthy rags. Um, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying, nor is the Bible saying, don't practice or do uh, righteous activities. No, he's not saying that. He's just saying those activities, listen, compared to Christ, God's majesty. What does that mean? His perfection, his purity, his holiness, his uh, ultimate standard. It is filthy rags. It's meaningless. It ha it's moot. It has no... There's nothing you could offer, you could bring to the table. So we, we, we struggle because we, there's no really perfect illustration to try to comprehend this. Our human brains struggle with the contrast between our righteousness and God's. But it's so critical to everything in your spiritual walk and everything in your relationships with God, yourself, and others. And so we need help with this revelation. Uh, try to think of it like, like to get this comparison and this contrast this way between your standards and your activities and God's righteousness and his standard. If you had an anthill on this table and it was in front of Mount Everest right behind me, um, of course you could see the stark contrast, right? You could see that. 
But then if we, if we took off in a rocket and we went 25,000 miles into space and we looked down upon the earth, just imagine like a Google Earth, Google earth moment, and would you be able to see the contrast between the anthill and Mount Everest from 25,000 miles in outer space? The answer is no, you couldn't. It's so far away. That's what your righteousness, my righteousness, is contrasted with God's. That's how far off we are and then some. And so you may have done a lot of righteous deeds, sir, man, boy, or girl. And, 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 and I could have done some good things too. And I may have done... Uh, you know, some, some wonderful things for people in the past. And, 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 and maybe you've done some bad things in the past, some things you shouldn't have done in the past. It doesn't really matter because when you compare it and contrast it to the majesty, the purity, the holiness, the standard of God, uh, we just don't come close. We're all short. We all fall short. We all don't measure up. We all miss the mark, it says in one translation. So, turn it around. Maybe you feel like the anthill, though, contrasted to uh, Mount Everest. In other words, maybe you feel like the loser and someone else is the winner and, and, and they have the perfect wrinkle-free life. The truth is, again, next to God's righteousness, it doesn't matter a bit. So this must be established right out of the gate. Listen, every person, every person is bankrupt before God. Morally, practically, every single one of us is bankrupt before God. So what have we established so far? Both Simon and the sinful woman, the prostitute and the Pharisee, they both owed and they both couldn't pay. Number three, similarity, write this down if you're taking notes. They both were freely forgiven. They both were freely forgiven. Verse 42 and 43, I hope you're getting something out of this. It says, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Come on, somebody. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love more? Simon answered and says, well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have, you have, right, you have judged rightly. So who's telling the story here, everybody? Come on, say it out loud. Jesus is telling the story. When Jesus tells the story, does he not have the rights to do what he wants? So what did Jesus do in this story? He freely forgave. All right. He freely forgave. Who forgave? Come on, say it out loud. Jesus freely forgave. He's the one with the rights to forgive because he lived the perfect life. He met the standard. He made the sacrifice. He took it for all of us, uh, for the team. So he determines, therefore, who should be forgiven. Jesus does that. Remember that. It's critical. Now, I'm going to make a strong statement here, and, here's, here's, and it kind of has an application to all of us. Sometimes when I'm going to make a strong statement, my wife gets nervous. But here, here, here's the statement. Jesus forgives um, more freely than we like to admit. Jesus forgives more freely than we like to admit and practice. Jesus is quick to forgive, and we're supposed to be the same way. So, but oftentimes as a church, oftentimes as Christians, if we're honest, we want people to pay a little bit for what they did. We want people to pay. We want them to pay a little bit for what they did. But Jesus said, you and you, Pharisee, extreme, prostitute, extreme, you're both, you don't pay a thing. You're freely forgiven, both of y'all. And so Jesus forgives freely, and we should too. But often we don't because we don't see things right. We don't have the perspective of things. We're not looking from 25,000 miles upward or seeing that he's looking from there downward, okay? And so, if, you know, I've said this for years. If we could see as Jesus sees, we could do as Jesus says. So now, that's the similarities. Now, 
I want to contrast that with the differences. I told you I'd come back to this. So what are the differences between them? And this is where it all comes together, okay? When you look at this story, Jesus, for some reason, sets amounts. This 500 thing, this, five, this 50 thing. Who came up with them? Why did he do that? Jesus, what was, what was that all about? Some questions here, and we'll answer. First of all, if 50 is the best, let's say, in the story, that's like... You know, keeping the commandments, going to church weekly, doing small groups, maybe leading a small group, maybe, you know, um, you know, loving your spouse, not killing your kids. Come on, somebody. And if 500 is the worst, that's like prostitution, adultery, murder, you know, abuse, theft. Okay, that's the extremes. All right. Where do you, don't answer this out loud, where would you rank yourself? If 50's good and 500's bad, really bad, where are you? I think most people, if we're honest, we would be like, uh, I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not the worst, but I'm not the best. I'm no Hitler, but I'm no Mother Teresa either, if I'm honest about this. And so here's the shocking news. Here's, here's the deal here that you've got to get this, and I'm going to unpack this for you. Here's the thing. Remember this. We are all 500s. We're all 500s. We all have a massive debt. And I shared this uh, a long time ago, and I'll never forget the story, but Billy Graham, the late, great Dr. Billy Graham, one of the great giants of the faith, finished strong, finished well. Thank you, Jesus, for people like him. May it be said of me one day that I finished well. But Dr. Billy Graham, when he finished, before he finished, excuse me, he was on the Johnny Carson show. For those of you who are a little younger, that's pre-Jimmy Fallon. That's pre-Jay Leno. Probably don't even know him, and that's back to Johnny. Okay, here's Johnny. You don't even know that. All right, some of you do say amen. All right, so Dr. Billy Graham is on Johnny Carson's show, and Johnny Carson says, Dr. Graham, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. He says, have you ever broken one of the commandments? And Dr. Graham right away says, well, well, yeah. And, and, and Johnny's like, well, what? Are you, are, seriously? What? Which one? And Dr. Graham says, I've broken them all. Because the Bible says if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And you have two, Johnny. <laughs> he says that right on the show. Amazing. And, and he basically, do you know the commandments? And, and, and you know, don't, don't murder and, and don't steal. And don't commit adultery and, and keep the Sabbath. We don't like that one. Uh, no lying. But James chapter 2, verse 10 confirms this. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. See, I'm trying to get you to see the standard because that's why this standard is perfection. And that's why we all needed a Savior, a superhero to come in and show us how to get it show us how it's done get it done and then and then and then equip us to do the same thing so someone kept the whole law because there's none righteous no not one and so then he proceeded to tell Johnny the gospel message. I wish he got saved on TV, but maybe it happened backstage. I don't know. But the truth is we all come up short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we're all 500s then, why does Jesus set these amounts in the story then, Pastor Derek? Okay, hang on. Verse 39 through 41, it says, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw, when the Pharisees, Simon, invited Jesus, saw this, listen, listen, he spoke to himself saying, who did he speak to? He spoke to himself. And he said this to himself. He said, this man, this man, if he were a prophet, remember that statement, if he were a prophet, because that's important, 
he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him. So this guy is thinking in his head, if this guy were a prophet, a man of God of some sort, and then right in that moment, Jesus answers what he's thinking. He answers his thoughts. And, his, and, and, and he, says, he says, Simon. And Simon's like, yes, sir. He says, I want to tell you something. And and, and that's a pretty good prophet, by the way, that's reading people's thoughts. Wouldn't you say so? And so the story, the story is an answer to Jesus, excuse me, to Simon's thoughts. Oftentimes, Jesus, when he is teaching, he would, it, it would say things like Jesus knowing their thoughts, and then he'd say something. Th this is what's so powerful is that Jesus is always, even now through me, Jesus is always speaking to our hearts See, the only one who can speak to and change our heart is God Almighty. Can I have an amen, everybody? The only one who can do that. So he's always coming for the heart. And so he's going to see what's right in here even before we speak it out here. He knows. And so for years, I've interpreted this text this way, and you probably have too, that those who love the most, um, it's because they've been forgiven the most. That's not a correct interpretation of this text. In fact... That idea has kept you, and it used to keep me, some of you, and it used to keep me in bondage. And I'll explain. And it used to keep my wife in bondage, in my relationship, and the dynamic between me and God and me and other people. Because my wife, for example, she used to look at me and she used to think, you know, I could never love God as much as Derek because I haven't been forgiven as much uh, as he has. My wife was an angel growing up. My wife didn't do anything wrong. My wife just, she was, she, she, like, barely nothing, okay? And in this story, she's the 50, just so you know. And she, but the problem was, because of this perspective and interpretation, she thought, I don't have a testimony to bring. I don't have a story that will draw somebody to Jesus or draw somebody to me to draw somebody to Jesus. I have nothing that I can share in church or I can give away to a friend. And, and, and some might, listening are relating to what I'm talking about right now. And so my wife, you know, my wife got saved when she was six years old. What does she need to be delivered from? Ice cream? Uh, you know, like cookies? Like what? Like that, come on. That's, that, was her, that was her challenge. But because of the misinterpretation of God's view of us in this particular story as well, in our hearts consciously or unconsciously, unconsciously, we conclude I could never love God like he does or she does because, of, because I haven't sinned like them. I haven't had that before and after, you know, B.C., A.C., before Christ, after Christ, experience like that. And that's, it's bogus. It's a diabolical distortion and deception of Satan himself to twist scripture and to ruin the dynamic between you and God and you and other people that God wants to come speak through you to reach other people, to have these incredible conversations that, that, that shape and mold and mark other people. And so I used to make this same, you know, if you flip it the other way, I used to think the same thing. I used to be on the other side saying, you know, I could never love God as much as my wife or God couldn't love me as much as he loves uh, my wife because she's a 50 and I'm a 500. I could never be as good as her. I'll never be as accepted as she is. And so those are, the, there's some of you that are listening that relate to that part of it right now. And you bought that lie and it's killing you softly. Remember that song? And it's putting a wall of deceit between you and God. And so... In short, this passage, if wrongly interpreted, is basically saying, I can never love God like him, or in this, sto or in this story, like the prostitute, uh, because I don't have a past. Conversely, 
this passage can communicate. I can never love God like him, Simon, because I have this past. And that's not the moral of the story or the truth or the interpretive key of the story. This, this passage doesn't teach that some are worse than others. This passage teaches there are some who think they are better than others. Because people think they are better than others. They can never, in this case, because, Simon, you think you're better than her, you can never love me like she does. Come on, somebody. That's the message. And so to answer the original question, Jesus sets these amounts between the 50 and the 500. And and what he's trying to do is he's trying to say to Simon, Simon, the problem is the way you're thinking. Simon was thinking, she's a 500 and I'm a 50. And that's what we do, too. That's what we do with our spouse in certain situations. That's what we do with our kids. That's what we do with our coworkers, our neighbors, all kinds of people. We think, I'm a 50 and they're a 500. And, and Simon was saying in the story, what is this 50 doing? Excuse me, what is this 500 doing in here in my house? And why is Jesus allowing her to touch him? And, and then Jesus says to Simon, I need you, Simon, to adjust, to change You're thinking because you think you are a 50, you can't love me like she does. But if you understand that you were a 500 also, as contrasted to me, you're just as far away from me as she is when you see your righteousness against mine. And then if you can, you could love me like she does. Come on, somebody. This is so life-changing and transformational. So Satan tries to get you to buy two lies. Two lies you often buy. One is you're better than others. Number one, you're better than others. Number two, you're worse than others. Those are the two lies he gets you to buy. And sometimes he tries to get you to buy them both, and you do at the same time. So sometimes you're thinking, well, uh, I'm not better than her. I'm not better than him. And in almost the same breath, you can think, but at least I am better than him, better off, and better than this person. I'm better than that person over there. And so it can be better off, by the way, versus better. So better off and better are two different paradigms. You can be better off, but you're not better. That's a great little insert parenthetical inside of that. So if you don't understand that you've been forgiven much also, then you can't love much also. That's what Jesus is saying in the story. And so the whole, the whole gospel, the, the, whole, the whole Bible is built on this idea. The gospel is about this whole thing. That's why it says, you know, the, the, the great commandments to love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind. Everything that you have, all that you have within you. And then love your neighbor as what? yourself. So if you, if you don't feel like you've been forgiven much, you're not going to love much. If you don't, it, it majorly affects your love for God. And if you feel like you're better or worse than someone else, you're not going to love much. And if you hate yourself, how are you going to love someone else? You know, how are you going to love your neighbor? Are you guys getting this right now? So Jesus is saying, Simon, I need you to get this. You could love as much as this woman if you realized you owed the same as her. You and I, we are all 500s. And I'm going to prove to you that God didn't need different amounts for us. we, We don't owe different amounts. The reason I can prove to you we don't owe different amounts, are you ready for this? Is because Jesus paid the same amount for all of us. We don't owe different amounts. 
Because Jesus paid the same amount for you as he paid for me, as he paid for Simon, as he paid for the sinful woman. Come, oh man, this is so good. And so he, he, he paid the same for Stacy as he paid for Derek. And I remember when I, when, I, when I got this revelation, I shared it with my wife and I came into her and I said, baby, you're not going to believe this. You know, um, here's the deal. I'm not worse than you. You're just as bad as me. And I was so excited. And she's like what? <laughs> and it was just this, we just had this revelatory moment. She realized, oh my gosh, I can love God just as much as Derek. And, and I thought I can love God and God can love me just as much as he loves Stacy. And we had, because we realized, we realized that contrast, that comparison changed everything for us. And we were talking about this years ago on the back porch. It was a sunny day. I'll never forget it. And I was going back in time. And I was remembering when we were dating, and we were sitting in a Sunday night service at Oral Roberts University. It's called Vespers. And there was a part of the service where everybody would get out of their chair, and not everybody, but some people, and if you had something the Lord was showing you, to come up and share it. That's the short and skinny, and hardly anybody did it. But every now and then, the strong, the mature, the super spiritual, and sometimes some weirdos, they'd get up. And I just had this strong impression, because God was working in my life, and, and I just felt like he wanted me to share something. And so I get up and I share it. And, uh, and my wife shared with me later. She said, I wish, I wish Derek, I could get a word. She was thinking this in her head when I was going up. God, I wish I could get a word like, like Derek does, you know. Like, why don't you speak to me like you speak to him? Do you not love me as much as you love Derek? And it's just interesting these are the kind of ruminations and thoughts that go through our brain because of our perspective of ourself in comparison to others and how we categorize ourselves as 500s or 50s. And, and then she realized God spoke to her and was just like, no, I can use you just as much as Derek. I, I love you just as much. I mean, in so many words, she said, I don't know if God said this to her, but she said, Derek, you know what? God uses the dumb to confound the wise. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Did God say that to you or is that you saying that, you know? And she's like, no, honey, you know what I mean? Like God can use anyone. Oh. You know, he, he can use anything. I'm like, he can even use, I'm like, oh, stop. She's like, no, he can even use a donkey. I'm like, what? Basically, she's calling me like, you know, a dumb beep. And I was like, this story and this revelation is backfiring in a major way. <laughs> but we laughed, but we were, getting, we were getting revelation from God. And the truth is, this misconception, or better stated, this, this distortion of truth can cause otherwise Righteous people who do righteous acts to fall, to fail. See, many people fall and fail to sin because of what I'm talking about right now. Because they're playing this comparison game here instead of here. And so many fall to adultery. Many fall to sexual impropriety, to financial, uh, you know, to possessionism and to financial gain through illegal means. And all kinds of things happen. Good people. How does that happen? This is a lot of the reason why it happens. And, and, and it's because, you know, you think, well, I don't deserve to be maybe in a marriage. I don't deserve to be with this 500. I'm a 50. Bang. Deception. Deception comes in. And that's where you can find the devil gets a foothold in your life. And so we came to realize that we both can love Jesus as much as, uh, as, as, as Simon and as much as the sinful woman. So here's my conclusion for you guys. Write this down if you're taking notes. We all, we all owe the same amount. We all owe the same amount. And why? Because Jesus gave the same amount for everyone. That's why. We all owe the same. Jesus gave the same. So as a result, benefit, we can all love the same.
We can all love as much as this sinful woman did within this story. And, and it's, so, it's so important. You know, sometimes my family in the past, and sometimes people, because I've been a pastor for a long time, this is an unqualified statement coming through, but they say, you know, Pastor, how, how is it you have so much grace for people? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's God's grace. It's all about him. It's, a lot of it has to do with what I'm sharing with you right now. I just see people differently. Like, I don't think, some people tell me stuff. They tell me their deep, dark secrets. They tell me their, their failures and their, and their, and their and place, and ways they've fallen. And I, I sometimes don't even remember it anymore because I don't see myself as better. I don't see myself as a 50 and they're a 500 because of this truth. And you don't have to either. God wants to give you that same kind of grace from him to you so you can have that with other people. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for those of you that are listening to this message and like something's happening inside of you. We're having a conversation with Christ right now and he's trying to get your attention and he's trying to get your affection. See, he wants you to love him more. Amen. He wants you to love him more and it's connected to how you see yourself and how you see others. So with every head bowed, we're going to pray for two groups of people and every eye closed. If you're here today, I want you to kind of ask this question. You know, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to speak to me right now? And just close your eyes and just say, God, what are you, what, what are you saying to me? You know, maybe just ask the question, you know, do, do you see yourself as a 500? Do you see yourself as a 50? Like, God, you know, I do a lot of good things. Well, you're in jeopardy. That's a dangerous thought. Maybe you see yourself as a 500. You know, you see yourself more through the lens of the sinful woman. See, God wants to correct that right now. Maybe this is how, how do you see others? How do you see others right now? How has this affected your relationship with God? I pray these questions that the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. Lord, would you do a supernatural surgery right through this camera in Jesus' name? Go into every location, at every city group, wherever Wherever they are, you're there right now. And I pray that you go and you do surgery on their heart and that you rewire things and that you give them supernatural revelation, Lord God, that they realize we are all 500s. Lord, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but yet you freely forgave us all. And we're so grateful that that, that debt that we could not pay has been paid. And as a result, Lord, we can love much you and others in Jesus' name. Now, for every person you, that's there, you're online, wherever you are, you're listening, and you're, you're, you feel distant from God, like he is 25,000 miles away from you, but you'd like him to come near, it's, I can't wait to tell you something. It's so easy. It's not easy to live, but it's easy to connect, okay? All you have to do is just recognize you can't save yourself. It's like Billy Graham said to Johnny Carson, you know what? We've all broken the commandments. Because if you just broke one, you've broken them all. We all fall short and can't measure up. But Jesus measured up. Jesus met the standard. Jesus was the once and only sacrifice for our sins. He is the payment for the wages of sin. If you'll accept what he did for you, you can be freely forgiven. And you can love much. And you can, you can have a capacity to love God and to love other people. If that's you today, just say this with me. Just right there in your seat. Just say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. I ask you to come into my heart. I receive you right now. I receive your grace by faith for me. I thank you that you paid my debt. 
And today is the day of salvation for me. Lord, do something on the inside of me. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. May I never be the same from this conversation and from this decision in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Now listen, I'm going to ask leaders to come at all the city groups down to the front. And because I want you to get prayer. If you made that decision today, you need to tell them. You need to come down front and say, hey, there was a decision I made today right when Pastor Derek was praying. I, whether you were in the first group or the second group, you had a change of heart where you just like God did surgery on your heart or you received Jesus. Tell somebody because we want to help you on your spiritual journey. If you're online right now, raise your hand online. There's a little button down there. You can raise your hand and say, I just prayed to receive Jesus. And then if you would take another step and text at either a physical location or online, text CC Saved to 97000. If you do that, I'm going to send you a book, What's Next in Your Spiritual Journey. It's going to help you on your spiritual path. It's going to help you go forward from here and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And God's going to do a mighty work inside of you. I hope this message has changed your life and that you are never the same from it. Give it away, share it, tell other people about it. I will see you next week, Easter Sunday. It's going to be awesome. God bless you.